Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lowe's. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as... On this episode, NHRA on Fox analyst Tony Pedragon and NHRA editorial director Phil Burgess spill the truth. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're talking who's hot, who's not, and what to look for at the NHRA Las Vegas 4-Wide National. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. It marks a victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here again with another episode of the NHRA Insider, and it's my favorite type of episode, a race week episode. We have the Las Vegas Four Wide Nationals coming this weekend, and it is going to be it is going to be great, uh, and it's going to be dry because it's the desert, and the advanced forecast looks eminently more dry than uh, Gainesville was. Even <laughs> even when Gainesville was dry, it was still wet, so it's going to be great to get out to the desert. Certainly great to compete in our first four-wide race of the 2022 season, and a great way to gauge who's going to be performing, both overperforming and perhaps underperforming, and that's really going to be the tone of today's show when I get to our guests. Going to talk about kind of who's hot who's not, and who we should be paying closest attention to at these four wide nationals. Um, been a, a, a week of news in drag racing. Of course, the uh, the sad news we got was that next year, Phoenix will be the final race at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park as there is a highway project that is going to apparently turn the area where the drag strip is into a I-10 bypass of some sort, which is crummy. Um, certainly not the news we wanted to get. It's a place we go. We always have great crowds there. The fans in Phoenix are very enthusiastic. It's a great place to go drag racing every year. And so when we look at what 2024 is going to look like after Phoenix, um, there's already been some rumblings of uh, racetracks that have um, uh, been inquiring about uh, those 2024 spots and any that may be open. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think over the course of this next couple of seasons, of course, we're going to Houston this year. And that uh, appears as though it's going to be the last national event, although there's been some news kind of bouncing around on that front in terms of the track's uh, opening and closing schedules. But either way, um, I think the interesting thing is we're losing a couple of great racetracks over these next couple of years. Um, at the same time, this is going to open opportunity for other drag strips that are of, uh, of the caliber uh, that they need to be to host national events to become part of the tour. So I think we're in for an interesting ride here over the next couple of seasons, and um, we never want to see tracks leave, but it's always uh, interesting when we're able to go to venues that either we haven't been to in a while or venues that uh, we have never attended before. So that is um, kind of the story on that. As far as the news goes, uh, Justin Ashley being renewed for the entire season by Phillips Connect is great. Um, Ashley, obviously a championship contender already with an opening uh, win in Pomona. We'll see what that team can accomplish at the Four Wide Nationals. Car Council looking good for the Four Wide Nationals. It's going to be a fun weekend. We have a great slate of programming for you as far as our shows on FS1. And those of you that watch NHRA.TV will get the full poll of sportsman eliminations as well as our Camping World Series stuff. But it... Um, it's coming into an interesting part of the year. You know, we go to Vegas, that gives us uh, two weeks off, and then we go to Houston and Charlotte back-to-back with a week off. Then we go to Virginia, a couple weeks off, we go to New Hampshire. So we're entering a nice stretch of races here, um, really uh, four, four races that are reasonably tightly grouped. There's going to be a little um, layoff there between Vegas and Houston, but 
it is going to start to shape up um, the teams that are rising and falling or simply treading water. And well, we're going to go through many of the names and, and talk about some of the, the teams that we should be looking at and, and why we should be looking at them. Uh, there's also some crew chief news, as you well know. Uh, maybe you don't, uh, but there's been rumors circulating that uh, Jim Oberhofer will be taking over Clay Milliken's car. That hasn't been officially announced as I am making this podcast on the Tuesday before the event, so it may very well be out by the time you read this, uh, or it may very well be bunk. I would say that there are um, enough rumors from enough people and enough conversations I've had that, that seem to indicate this is the truth. Um, interesting decision, obviously, uh, Paul Lee and Jimmo uh, going separate ways. Paul Lee has announced he is going to sit out Vegas, and then post-Vegas, he's going to announce uh, a new uh, lead on that car or a new co-crew chief on that car. Dustin Heim, who was the right-hand man of Ron Tober for several seasons on Cap's car, is over there on Lee's car now. And then there will be an additional name added to Dustin Himes as far as that job goes. And as Paul alluded to in a press release, it is a, another quote-unquote young gun. And this quote-unquote young gun will be coming from an existing team and an existing operation. As he said, the person he is hiring has obligations at Vegas. Uh, that person will fulfill those obligations and then apparently be named after that. So I think we're all very interested to find out what that name is because of the fact that, you know, one of the great stories has been or one of the big stories has been this this talent pool, crew chief pool this year and how it is spread thin because of the additional participation we have ha had in uh, Nitro Funny Current Top Fuel. That's a great thing, in my opinion, and, and I know it's a struggle when to get the right people and to get the best people, but this is also a time when you can find opportunity, and it certainly seems as though someone is going to be getting an opportunity to come out of the out of the ranks of maybe an assistant crew chief and step up to a co-crew chief on Paul Lee's FTI Performance McLeod Clutch's funny car. That's... um. That's a story that we're going to have to wait till after the race to show and and see. Uh, of course, the stories we should be paying to during paying attention to during the race. Um, you know, Steve Torrance with his dominant performances in four wide racing is he going to be a big factor this weekend? He already has been this year. Of course, the guys uh, only forty seven points out of first place, and they have been working working through tune ups not issues. They've been working through tune up ideas and concepts that they are trying to use to move their program ahead. Um, the Nitro Funny Car category, we have our our band of brothers, if you will. The West Coast Independent Funny Car contingent is back in terms of Steve Densham and Tony Gerardo, uh, Jason Rupert. Um, the, the Little City Charge will be there, Chris Morrell. So it's um, it's all going to be very interesting. And, of course, we have four qualifying sessions this weekend because it is a three-round race. It is a four-qualifying session race, something we have not had in a long, long time in NHRA drag racing, and I am excited for that. We'll see four qualifying sessions in Charlotte. And then my understanding is there are some races after Epping where we will be seeing four qualifying sessions executed as well. I'll keep you all posted on that as I learn what those races may well be. Rather than go on, I want to pick us up with our guests. I think that it's... Um it's time to kind of get some insight, get some idea, get some prep work done for you and the fan base, for me as a announcer with my fellow kind of drag racing geeks here. So without further ado, I think we should uh, we should transition into our, our conversations this week. All right, so our first guest in this episode of our Deep Insider episode is going to be Tony Pedragon. How you doing, man? Good. Good morning, Brian. You know, this is an interesting time of the year because uh, fourth race of the season, obviously we've got a long way to go in terms of a 22-race schedule, but there's already some kind of things moving and shaking out there that I, I think are worth talking about, and um, th that's going to be in the funny car category, but I kind of want to start talking first about Pro Stock because we will see them 
uh, this weekend at the four wide. And, you know, when we look at drivers and teams that are kind of moving in the right direction, I think we, we got to talk about Aaron Stanfield. When we look at guys that may not be pulling their weight right now, I mean, Greg Anderson's uh, 120 points out of first, and he's kind of lingering back there in six. Is that a, a cause for concern even at this early point in the year for the guy? I don't, I don't think so. Anytime I think about Greg Anderson, it's, it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's not, not often we see him out of the top five and it's, it's still early, but you know, when I go back and I look at the ladders, you look at the first three races, you know, he's lost a couple of close races and you go back to Gainesville first round. You know, I think, I think the key to success for Greg is going to be um, to compete with these, you know, the younger guys, when we talk about Stanfield and, and McGahey, Dallas, Glenn, Kyle Koretsky, you know, we've they've been good, but now their their cars are they're in sync with their cars. Their cars are in sync with the driver. It seems like Mason, even Aaron, their performance has picked up. So now they are they are a bigger threat than they were a year or two when they came into the pro stock class. So I think the key to success for Greg is he's going to have to get the performance back, consistency, especially in pro stock. But I think now, I mean, you've got to ask yourself: Can I compete with these guys at this at this level? And I think that's going to be the key for success. Um, key to success for Greg is, you know, 30, 40 lights. You know, those kind of reaction times are good. They used to win you races in pro stock. But when you look at the competition, I think you're going to have to step up um, step up the game a little bit. I think Greg has been known to do that. And, you know, of course, if he has a low performance advantage on the rest of the field, that always helps. But um, it's not going to be as easy. No, and look, Dallas Glenn had, a, of course, a great weekend uh, in Gainesville, took the win down there and, and moved himself back to fourth in the points. And um, I look at the four-wide race, and, and for a guy like Greg Anderson, to me, this is probably the best time that this could happen because it is an interruption you know, for some racers that may be you know, really kind of feeling it and in a groove right now. This four-wide race can be somewhat disruptive, and, and obviously Las Vegas is a place where, where Greg has had, uh, had success over the course of his career. He's the winningest guy uh, at the history of the racetrack. He's got eight wins there yeah and it really makes you wonder i you know the thing about the four wide is is um you know you go back when it started you know some liked it some didn't none of that really matters i mean this is on the schedule we have two races uh coming up and and the question now is is how good are these drivers going to be on the starting line i mean it used to i think one of the uh one of the topics of discussion used to be it, it, you know who is it going to throw off and you know you think about it at this stage for you know, especially these drivers that call themselves professionals. Uh, the the fact that which lane are we staging in, none of that should be a conversation at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard for me to imagine that it was when it first started. I mean, I was always blown away uh, when I competed at the four wide. Um, and I personally liked it because I thought, how can these guys get confused? You know, it's black and white. There's this, there's three, four lanes. Um, and I know the two and three lanes seem to be the biggest issues, but that shouldn't be a concern for these drivers. I think um, the question is, is how good can some of these younger drivers be? Are they going to be as good as they are, uh, you know, at some of the conventional races? So uh, if they are, if they are, I think that, you know, Aaron and Kyle and Dallas, uh, you know, Mason McGahey, I think I think we should look for some of those drivers to be in the semifinals. But, you know, it never fails. It never fails. It never fails. Somebody gets a little confused and it's usually not a guy like Greg or some of the older veterans, um, you know, Derek Kramer. I mean, some of Bo Butner, I mean, some of these guys, I think this is the, this is the home of the triple hole shot for Bo Butner. So, um, 
you know, look for look for one of those guys to kind of sneak in uh, under the radar. Yeah, and I think really to me the most interesting story this weekend uh, may be watching Cameron Caruso. Obviously, in a rookie season, uh, she's picked up a couple of round wins now. She's got two under her belt. Uh, admittedly, even for her, the starting line has not necessarily been her strong point. She has a uh, simulator that she's been working in a lot at their race shop to try to get that all kind of figured out. But as much as this may be kind of a, a way for Greg Anderson to maybe get his feet back under him, this this may be problematic for her just because she is going to be the only person there that has not seen this or ever actually participated in it before. We know she has horsepower, but it's definitely going to probably, it should, I should say, come down to kind of how she reacts uh, in terms of handling it because the car's been a top half qualifier. She's set top speed of the meet before. So really horsepower is no longer the concern. It's just going to be her ability to adapt to the situation. Yeah, I think for any driver, I mean, that she might have the most difficulty because it's just new. I mean, of course, if this is the first time for her competing uh, in the four wide, uh, you know, and it takes time. I mean, it, she, it seems like she's really been, you know, first you have to block out all the noise, um, you know, being competing uh, at a higher level against, you know, some of the biggest names in pro stock. And I think she's overcome that. I think she's done a good job. Uh, you know, of course, the car, the performance is there, and um, it's nice to see the excitement of the crew when she does well. But, you know, we're a few races in, and, you know, I think now everyone starts to expect, you know, better results. And and I think for Camry, I think that um, – I think she just needs a little more confidence, a little more time. But, you know, she's going to be one to watch, you know, regardless of the horsepower. I mean, this is going to be a driver's race, and, you know, getting off the line is going to be paramount. So – uh, I think I think we're all going to be watching her and, you know, hopefully she can just, you know, again, it comes down to preparation, yeah. uh, mental preparation. And I, I myself, I mean, because I lived it, you literally have to, to be good, Brian, at this, especially this sport. You know, the majority of it is mental. It's it's much less physical. You really have to live it, you know, and we watch some of these cars and some of these drivers. Um, I, I don't get the calls myself, but I hear um, second and third hand that well this guy wasn't real happy you talked about him you know hitting the blocks and you know I pointed something out I think is is very interesting uh, they don't hit the wall but they sure as hell <laughs> run right. block over you know so that just tells you that you know they have a bigger fear and much more respect for the wall they should have that same respect for the center line for those blocks but they don't they don't and and I know that uh, you know, of course, the nitro cars, when <clears throat> when they lose the cylinder, it changes the aerodynamics. I know it pushes them over. I know all of that. I've been there, done that. I can see it over and over again. But you really have to ask yourself, are these drivers, are some of these drivers that don't live it? You know, you think of a guy like Hagen, a driver like Caps and Antron, you know, it, it's, they do this for a living. And, and so they are immersed in this sport mentally. Um, and there's a business side to it. You know, there's a sponsor obligations, all these other things they have to fulfill. But what in the hell are these drivers doing to prepare? And and that's what you really, you know, I wonder that sometimes, you know, for some of these drivers that don't live it, they have a business. I get it. I understand it. But when you come to a race, you have to prepare, uh, prepare for it. Uh, some of it physically, you should, but the majority of it mentally. So, uh, you know, I think just going back to Camry, none of this applies to her. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the guys, the repeat offenders that are running down, running for stuff the rest over. Of the racers. Yeah. And I'm not the only one thinking this. I'm just saying what the majority of the drivers in their tow vehicles are thinking when the same guy runs 
the same block over and over again. So, uh, but I think for Camry, I think she um, she just needs a little time, and and I'm sure that she's you know preparing for it as any professional driver should. So let's uh, you mentioned kind of talked about the funny car category. I want to transition in there, and really one of the stories coming into this race is uh, revolving a car that won't be there. Now the car won't be there, but the what we understand to be the former crew chief will. So Paul Lee made an announcement, said that uh, he was parking the car for the Vegas race. They were uh, kind of realigning or reassigning or rebuilding the um, the kind of management tuning pro- program. And well, he didn't say Jim O by name. Obviously, Jim O was the crew chief on the car, and we understand that he is no longer on that car and and we'll we'll talk about where he's going to land when we get to top fuel but um has there been any speculation about who the quote-unquote young guns that paul lee is going to hire and have on this car after vegas because one of the people he's bringing in apparently is on a team right now and has to work in vegas and then is free and brian you know this move is no surprise when you look at the performance of paul lee's car it's just a matter of time i mean i i hear you know the the drivers the owners they talk about family uh but in business in the business world um it it does function like a family and in any family any team they have their challenges but when that car isn't running good and when you compound the the performance with with parts and and i know maybe not lately but you know they've gone through a lot of engines i know we can go back just a year ago three in a row right yeah and that that sideline, that car, and that driver, and that owner, um, for several races after that, because you know financially they have to regroup, but but they also have to take a look at how in the heck are they running this car? You know, when that car was built, it was a five disc. It was a knockoff of the Napa car because Ron Tobler set it up, and that car ran good. It wasn't as consistent as Tobler's because Ron wasn't tuning it. He was consulting, but over time you've seen. Um, the the performance just really fall off. So it's no big surprise. I mean, this happens in football. When that team's not performing, you're going to look at the GM. You're going to look at the head coach or the quarterback, right, the top dog. And that seems to be Jim O. And and I I mean, I heard the comment, and he wasn't having any fun, but it's not about fun. Uh, To me, this is a business decision that the owner had to make, and whether it was the decision of, of, of the tuner or not. Uh, something had to change. So it does appear that that uh, the the interesting thing is going to be uh, who he's going to hire. And yeah. whoever that who is is somebody that's working, uh, that has obligations at Vegas. So I'm pretty sure we'll find out after. And, of course, the domino, the ripple effect, because, you know, we just have our ear to the streets. And, and it seems like there may be a change in one of the top fuel cars that um, – the, the said tuner that we're talking about may land in in uh I land in Clay Milliken's pit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been the speculation, and you know, again, there's been no official announcement made by that team, um, but that would, you know, that would displace Mike Clover if, in fact, that's the move that was made. And I guess we're going to learn about it qualifying session one to see who's actually standing behind the race car, or, or on Friday morning when we get to the racetrack and, and drive by the pits and see who's standing there enjoying a cup of coffee before they go to work for the day. I think it's uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. And and before we move deeper into that, I want to kind of stay in the funny car category. And, you know, obviously Robert Hyde and Matt Hagen have uh, kind of established themselves and, and Ron Caps maybe to a slightly lesser extent um, as the two class leaders uh, early on. You know, I had Matt Hagen on this show last week and the guy is just 
the guy is in a different kind of place in his head, and, and it's a, a clearly a good place. He's always been a good driver, but, man, he seems to be just having an incredible amount of fun with what they're doing, and his winning Gainesville was was a huge deal. Well, I think, I think you're, I mean, you're driving for Tony Stewart, and, you know, with all respect to Don Schumacher, I mean, he accomplished a lot, and I, I know that Matt was always very respectful of, of the resources that he had um, when he drove for Don, uh, you know, I, I don't think there were too many operations that function at, at that level. Right. Uh, but, you know, you've made the transition. You know, Tony Tony Stewart, I mean, he's a big name. He's notorious in, you know, NASCAR, IndyCar. Um, and, and I could imagine, I mean, I could imagine what it's like just, you know, being, uh, you know, a part of that program, a part of that team and uh, just winning, you know, winning your first race. I think, I think that's special. They can never... Uh, you know, relive that moment. Um, and it was a Gainesville, you know, I mean, Pomona would have been great to, to do it your first time out. Um, you know, in Phoenix, they had a good car, but you know, Gainesville was a big race and we just saw so many odd things there that, uh, Tony was there. He was on the starting line. Hagan pulled it off. And, you know, I talked about some of the drivers, you know, having businesses, having other things that they go and do, you know, Matt Hagan is one of those guys. I mean, he has several businesses, but, when you listen to him talk, when you watch how he performs on the track, there's a guy that lives this. I mean, if he's on a tractor or if he's in, if he's in the boardroom or his office making business decisions, it's very clear that he lives. He is, he is just uh, uh, drowning himself in this sport as a driver, and that's, that's how you have to think. That's how you have to func- function. So I think it shows on the track, and I, I've always felt that a Matt – I mean, really, the three guys, the cars to beat, the drivers to beat are going to be Hagen, Robert, and Caps. Uh, you know, Caps hasn't won a race. They've had their problems. But that's a good car. And it's a championship driver. Uh, you got a couple of tuners. That you, I mean, Medlem can go off and tune a car and win a championship. And, and Dean Antonelli heads, you know, seems to make the final decision. But there are two bona fide tuners on that car that work well together. I mean, you can go back to those two, back to the force days. I've worked with both of them, and um, they're going to be there. But, you know, when you talk about Vegas and this four-wide, uh, I always want to know who won the race last year, and that was Bob Taskin. So I think his, I think you're going to see him uh, uh, kind of jump into this conversation. Uh, you know, you look at his ability and how he's been driving for the first three races. Um, you know, there's really no, there's no glitch other than the car's performance. And, um, you know, there again, they've got all the resources, all the parts. It's just a matter of time before Mike Neftatuner, you know, finds his groove. And, um, you know, of course, Cruz's car is running good. And, you know, I just, I, I, for funny car, I mean, top fuel is going to be very solid. Uh, we got plenty to talk about there, but, you know, funny car, there's no etiquette in this class with these drivers. Deep staging is allowed. Um, it is, um, it is highly recommended, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, I, I just think it's interesting that you're going to see, you're going to see guys like Forrest, guys like Cruz and, you know, some of the other guys that have the nerve, um, to do different things on the starting line. And that's, that's going to play into the outcome of the race, I think. And one last, uh, one last name to touch on and funny car before we move to top fuel. 
if we talk about a team that is uh, certainly not necessarily showed us what they're capable of yet, it's uh, it's the DHL team. They're currently tenth in the points, and um, it's been you know they went two rounds in Pomona, but then it's been back to back first round losses since then. And um, we know that car to be very good in the heat of the summer. We know that that's where they make a lot of their bones. But these th- three first first three races have been fairly chilly, and the car has been I guess fairly chilly in its in its performance as well. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I, I'm looking at the points at the top ten, and I, I don't really put a lot of stake in that. Um, not at this stage. I mean, we're three races in for crying out loud. But uh, I think Jr. Todd liked Tasca, and and even um, uh, you know Forrest has had some performance. But I think I think with you know I, I wondered. I, I start to wonder if the new body and weight distribution or aerodynamics it's just something i mean when the car loses traction early aerodynamics don't have a lot to do yeah. with the car's performance uh, and the car shaking you know within the first 200 feet that, that's not aerodynamics but you know sometimes i wonder if the balance you know if the the, the higher center of gravity um and it may I, I i haven't talked to i mean really i had a conversation with john o that um that swiped my phone and took a picture of himself and i didn't realize it until i was laying in bed at the hotel <laughs> so that was uh, that was quite the shocker but um i i did speak with him a little bit on sunday night after the race and I, I think it's just you know like a couple of the other teams i don't think they have found where they would like to be in terms of um you know the clutch settings and how they're i mean they're always looking for some little improvement whether it's in performance or consistency and um I think you need only go back to how that car ran in testing. I mean, they ran a 386. There's a 386, and they're waiting for somebody. It's just a matter of time before they find it. So let's move to top fuel, and and I want to start with the car that we've been talking a little bit about uh, sitting fifth in the points right now is Clay Milliken. And, again, no official announcement has been made at this moment by Doug Stringer or the Stringer Performance team. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that when we finish this show there won't be one sitting in my email box. But uh, if, in fact, fact Jim Oberhofer is now the crew chief on this car and, and Mike Clover has been displaced, is that a surprise to you? Only because we saw this car go to a final. Uh, we saw it run 369 in Phoenix. Uh, we see it as a fifth-place car in the points right now. So it, it seems to me a little odd that this is the guy you're going to replace. It, do, it does. It does. I mean, we don't – it does as uh, from the outside. Exactly. I mean, who knows what, you know, what goes on behind closed doors and – and the chemistry and the compatibility. I mean, that, that we don't know, but when you look at the performance, um, you know, clay is one of those drivers that's really stepped up his, his performance on the starting line. That's, that's uh, an important part of their success. Um, because you gotta be good. Gotta be good off the line. And, uh, and, and clay has good car control. So the driver contributes to the success of that car. But uh, I, I'd be a little surprised because, um, you know, again, and, and Jim O is, is is experienced jim oberhofer he's as experienced a uh, top fuel tuner as as they are um and but you know one of the things i mean you look at the car's performance and then you look at the crew chiefs and where the car is based uh, and i i from from what i understand uh jim wasn't jim wasn't with the paul lee car all the time and i think that that could be problematic sometimes uh, because when you have a crew chief that just flies in and he relies on, you know, some not so experienced crew. Uh, and, and I, I know that they had one or two, uh, maybe more, but they had a lot of new crew there. Yeah. And, and I just, you know, I, I've, from my experience, um, 
I, I just, and I don't know if Mike Clover was there all the time. I, so I don't really know what the arrangements are. If Jim Oberhofer's going to be there more or not, but if it's, if it's just, you know, comparing apples to apples, that car ran pretty good. And that car is sitting number five in the points. Um, so that would be a surprise. And then, you know, tuning a funny car is a lot different than tuning a top fuel car and how you apply the power. And I've only seen a few tuners that have made the transition from being successful with both. Um, and and Jim O had to, it seemed like he had some difficulty getting that car to be consistent, to maintain traction. You know, you don't have this big, long 300-inch lever so you can imagine a much shorter yeah. wheelbase funny car. It's just, it's not the same. You make a lot of power and that clutch is just a, it's a different ball game. And when you've lived in tuning a top fuel yeah, car, so you can, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm going to throw this at it. It doesn't work in a funny car. So um, I think that'll be interesting if it's in fact how this is going to shake out. But, you know, of course we, we know people, we hear things and, you know, it's hard to keep secrets in this sport. And it does seem that that's what we're at least hearing that Jim O may land on that uh, parts plus car. You know, let's talk about Steve Torrance uh, currently sitting third in the points and and he's only, you know, 47 out of first place at this point behind Ashley and Salinas. But talk about a guy who is probably all too happy to go to Vegas. I mean, this dude is like unstoppable when it comes to four wide. Yeah, you know, and I, it's funny because the the uh, consensus seems to be that, hey, Steve is, uh, he's in, you haven't heard much from him. Um but, you know, he's got two semifinal finishes, uh, a second round. And, they're you know, they're really running they're running with the pack. But we're just not used to seeing Steve Torrance run with the pack. I think, I think they're going to find what they're looking for. Um, you know, and, and when you scale up the top fuel field, I, I think my observation has always been we've always had a couple of good drivers in top fuel. I, I've just felt that there's a lack of of the sharpshooters, of the, the, the dogs on the starting line. And and that's really what's changed. I mean, competitively, yeah. there are cars that, that can, can can win races. But when you when you combine that with when you combine that good car with that good driver that has some talent, good car control, the ability to get a car from shaking the tires, feathering the throttle, uh car breaking the tires so i'm not just talking about getting off the line but i'm talking about overall car control which some are better than others that's what we're seeing we have uh justin you got prop you got josh hart oh it's nasty yeah and doug but you have steve torrance i mean steve torrance to me has always been one of those top three or top five drivers He's always been one of the top three and when you have a car that performs like his that's that equals championships um four in a row to be exact and but but he's still he's still in that group of talented drivers. You just have more of them. So I, I think that Steve Torrance is going to be there all year when they find what they're looking for. I think that they're going to still be a top three car. I think the challenge is still there because Justin Ashley is good and he has a car. And, you know, Brittany Force, I mean, that has yet to be – she's made some improvements, but – you know, in Top Fuel, I've always felt, even when Spencer Massey was going at it with Antron Brown and then Sean Langdon, you know, won a championship, there was there was a couple of good drivers, but nothing like what you have now. And and I think I think to win a championship today, you're going to have to go through uh, Justin and guys like Josh Hart 
Um, I, I still think it's going to be Doug and and Steve. Um, you know, the question is, and, and Justin, I mean, those would be my top three cars to beat in top fuel right now. But, you know, you go down the list and for crying out loud, there's, you know, there's a lot of them. So, um, you know, this four wide and the staging still has some effect on some drivers. I, I don't, I, I think Steve, a guy like Steve has won those races for a reason. He's had a good car, but he's been able to, he's had the, the mental fortitude to deal with this four wide. You know, and one of the last things I want to bring up is, you know, again, we go back to all of our, you know, preseason hype about top fuel and what it was going to be and how crazy it was going to be and how awesome it was going to be. I think the, the evidence of all that being true is when I read you the 11, 12, 13, and 14 cars and points right now. Number 11, Tony Schumacher. Number 12, Sean Langdon. Number 13, Antron Brown. And number 14, Leah Pruitt. And that is insane. I mean, if you, you, that is, to me, it's mind-boggling. And yes, three races in. But still, those are the last people on the planet. Three races in, you'd expect to be below the cut line. And, you know, this is... People get really annoyed when we talk about stuff like this, but I, I guess that's what we do here. We annoy people, so let's just go into it. Um, you know, something's got to give. Something's got to give with Leah. It, it, it has to give because she has a race car. I mean, Neil Strasbaugh and, and Domagal, they have done a nice job with that car. It qualifies well. It's making the consistent runs down a racetrack, but she just cannot be giving up the leash. The amount of leash she's giving people on the starting line. Something's got to give. Yeah, and, you know, that's all mental. You know, we showed a graphic at the last race that she, how she, how good she is in, in qualifying. But, see, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. And I know I've I've pointed out what pressure does to drivers and how it affects them. And that's a fact. I mean, we need only look at the numbers. I mean, she is good. There's no pressure. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're relaxed in a, in a good way. And, and when you get to that first round, uh, you know, there, there it is when you're on the stage and, and all the eyes are on you and you put that pressure on yourself and that's, you know, that's the end result. So, you know, Leah is one of those that has a good car and, you know, she needs to pull her weight and she knows that. Yeah, uh, I know they were making some runs here uh, last week at, uh, at IRP and I'm pretty sure, I mean, you're always looking for a little more performance, get the car to 60 foot a little better, maybe run a little harder uh, early in the run. But without a shadow of a doubt, uh, they're trying to give her what the Wizard of Oz was hanging out. She just needs a little confidence and, and um, you know, a little courage. And that's not easy to find. Uh, it, you know, when you look at the top 10, I mean, I think it's safe to say, hey, what Trip Tatum did was good. Um, but he's going to be falling out of the top 10. And uh, no disrespect to Doug Foley, but you got to compete with Langdon and Antron Brown and Schumacher and Leah. Yeah. Um, so the question is, is which one of the two exactly? Uh, which of the two of the four yep. are going to break into that top ten? I know Antron. Uh, you know, I'm hearing they're you know they're running the car pretty hard. There's a few of these dragsters are going through crankshafts like um, you know like diapers. That's not good because wow. yeah. crankshafts are a lot more expensive than diapers are. Um, and harder so to I get. <laughs> they're harder to get. And, uh, you know, a lot of parts are. And, and it's just really not one of the topics of discussion. So if you're now a team owner, you're starting to look at these numbers and say, you know, not only do we have to perform, but we've got to contain the cost. you got to contain the parts because you can blast through that money like you wouldn't believe. So, um you know, I think Sean Lang. I think the Langdon car. It's just a matter of time before they get on track. Yeah, I wanted to and, ask. Uh, I wanted to ask you that as kind of the last question, which is, 
are we going to see Doug and Sean kind of rise at the same time in terms of the car's performance? They're they're on point as they always have been in the starting line, but is this going to be something that happens in tandem, or do you think we're going to see one car uh, kind of get its feet under it first, and then the second car will follow? I, I think I think because the focus is on Doug's car and, and Alan is there. I, I guess I should answer this by saying it depends on Connie. It depends on how how much they 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 want to duplicate yeah. what they're doing to Doug's car, you know, and I think, I think for the most part, um, you know, that's always been the question. Uh, you know, I drove for Larry minor for several years and uh, I'm familiar with, you know, team owners that want to tune their own car. And that's, that's why they have, that's why they have another car yeah. so they can get involved with it. And um, I think that's a great thing, but, you know, competitively, I think that I think that Doug is going to be the car, uh, you know, to watch because you know there's talent in the seat, there's talent tuning it. That's a good car, good team, and and they've lost a couple of close races. Um, you know, I think I think Sean Langdon can mix it up with anybody any day. It's just a matter of um, how how much of a carbon copy will that car be to Doug's. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch both of those guys this weekend as well because I know that, uh, you know, again, anybody anybody that isn't in one, two, or three wants to get themselves there and by any means possible. So, all right, Tony, well, thanks for taking some time, man, to run through our categories. Um, and, you know, we don't have pro stock motorcycles in Vegas. That's why we didn't uh, necessarily go down that road. But uh, Karen Stouffer's performance in Gainesville was just, <laughs> I mean, it was historic. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have plenty to talk about when they show back up. But, uh, you know, we're going to higher elevation. It's dry. It's 2,100 feet. Uh, we always talk about the track because it's all concrete, but it it's one of, if not the smoothest racetrack. So it uh, looks like we're going to have good weather. And, uh, hey, it's Vegas. Yeah, baby. More power, baby. <laughs> uh, more power, baby. <laughs> Tony Pedragon, thank you so much. Days. I'll see you in a couple days, man. See you, Brian. Take care. Bye. So after an always enlightening chat with Tony Pedregon, we transition to our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider, the editorial director for the NHRA, Mr. Phil Burgess. Phil, how are things in sunny Southern California? Well, it's just finished raining here, so that that's a rare thing for us, but uh, looking forward to heading to Las Vegas where it's not going to be raining. Thank God for that, because we, we have plenty, we had a, a lifetime's worth of that in Florida, so yeah, oh, I'm, boy. I'm as excited <laughs> as, uh, as you are to get there. <laughs> You know, one of the things I, I talked to Tony about, I want to talk to you about, is is some racers that have been making, I don't want to say headlines, but have been kind of establishing the root of their season early. And and the first guy we talked about with Tony, and I want to talk about with you, is is uh, Greg Anderson. You know, uh, the Greg Anderson of 2022 does not appear to be the Greg Anderson of 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all we all looked at what he did at the end of last year, and, you know, looking for that 100th win, I figured it was going to come up Pomona. You know, how perfect would that be, 100th win at the 900th postdoc race, and he just hasn't gotten there. I mean, you know, you look at how, how tough it is and, you know, three different winners in, in three different races and he's not one of them. And that wouldn't have been on my bingo card. No, it wouldn't have been. And, you know, I think it's 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 an interesting thing because you, you've seen this class for years. And, you know, we go for these periods of time when you, you basically hand the trophy to the same three or four guys for, you know, half a decade or more. But it really does seem more wide open than, than it has been, at least in my tenure with NHRA now. Yeah, absolutely. You got different people, you know, leading the qualifying. You got different people winning the races, different people in the final rounds and the semifinal rounds, you know, it, it's tough. You know, those, those years when, when Greg won 15, that's not going to happen again. Probably, probably ever in our current time. No. And how much of the youth is Greg's problem? You know, because I don't, 
he's still a consistent guy in the starting line, but but at a point, does it become a, a more of a Dallas Glenn or an Aaron Stanfield kind of situation where these guys are young and and frankly, we all know what happens when when Father Time gets involved. Oh yeah, yeah I mean absolutely. I think you know as close as the cars are and the power levels and everybody, it, it's really come down to take their foot off off the clutch on time. And you know, to your point, you know, uh, remember uh, John Force when he hired Tony Pedergon that, you know, Force famously said, I hired my own assassin. And you look at Greg Anderson, and he's got that right in his own camp with two of them, you know, Kyle and Dallas both. You know, you got Erica, who's who's continues to be deadly, you know, Aaron Stanfield, Mason Gayhagen get off on the line. It, it's, it's tough. It is. And, you know, along this same conversation, we have a racer this weekend who will be competing in her first four-wide drag race ever in pro stock and really of any category. And that's Cameron Caruso, who's who's been able to now etch out a couple of round wins for herself, one in Phoenix and, and one in Gainesville, of course, both of them against Christian Quadra. But that's kind of another little side note there. Um, her her point. You know, her I guess let's say a weak spot or, or an area of most improvement is definitely in the driver's seat of this car. And coming into a four ride race, it would seem like this is kind of another level of uh, of pressure to add to her. Yeah, absolutely, I think you know the, the power is definitely there. The qualified top half, she's won you know around in each of the last couple of races, so we know that you know the, the car is dialed in. And I think you know it's like like everything, the, the more you do it, you know, the better you get. And I think that before long, you know, we'll find her with the confidence to cut those kind of double O lights or team lights. Um, four wide certainly is going to not help that because it's, you know there's a lot going on up there. Uh, but you know she gets this one on her belt, and we you know go to Charlotte in a couple of weeks, and she'll you know be a little more more ready for that. And I, I think no problem. She's she's lived up to the hype. I mean, she came in, and you always got to wonder, well, who is this new person uh, with with no credentials that people understand or know about? Yep. And and you know and 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 she's certainly received a ton of ink, you know, and she's living up to it. You know, if she if she was out there and not qualifying. And getting beat in the first round, you know, you're, eh, well, maybe a little overblown, maybe a little too early, but you know, she, she's lived up to it. And I'm interested to see what she'll do at the four wide because we all know, you know, even John Force gets goofed up at the four wide. Yeah, and to me, her story is very cool in the sense of just of what you said, but also the fact that now we kind of get this front row seat to watch her evolve as a driver and. It's one thing to come into this class as, listen, Erica can tell you this story. You can come in with all the driving talent in the world and not have the right race car, which was the story of Erica's career for many years before she really yeah. got horsepower under. And we kind of have an opposite scenario with Camry in the sense of, okay, that is a race car. That is a race car that is as capable as any out there. And now we kind of get this front row seat to see her evolve as a driver. And and that's something that I'm not sure we've we've had that. We've not had it in this sense in the class in a long time. When Dallas Glenn came in, I think we all had a sky high expectations. Aaron Stanfield, the same thing. But but she was a bit of an unknown quantity, and now it's like, okay, she's for real. Yeah, absolutely. Because you made that point about Erica. People forget, and I just I think wrote about it just on my last uh, Dragster Insider column. Erica went three years in Jim Cunningham's car where she didn't qualify for I think twenty seven out of thirty races. And when she did, she got beat in the first round. So that kind of taught her a lot about you know what what can she bring to the game. And, you know, we've seen, you know, you know, she's consistently the best leader out there still. I mean, Dallas Glenn has, has certainly, you know, become double O Dallas and feared by, I think even she would say she worries about him. But to watch Camry evolve with a car that that's good from the get go, uh, you know, I think it's, it's definitely going to be an entertaining uh, season for all of us. It is. You know, one of the other major, I guess let's call it a starting line story of the year has uh, been Leah Pruitt. And and this is a situation where, you know, Mike Domagala and uh, Neil Strasbaugh, you know, it's a good race car. And it just, for, for reasons known only to her, and she's obviously been very upfront about her working on them, it just has not panned out the way she's wanted as far as the starting line stuff goes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's just tough. There's, there's a lot on her plate. I mean, she's, you know, you know, basically the co-owner of that team. Yeah. Uh, they spent the, the winter, you know, concentrating just on getting it up and running. Maybe, you know, th- there was a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And I think we, we all know that she got the heart of a champion. We know that she is not going to take this lightly. Uh, she will do whatever it takes to get down, but it, it's been hard. And, you know, Gainesville wasn't really her fault. You know, it rained. They got one qualifying session. It's the first yeah. round of the call out, you know, we, I, I don't think that she knew or, or any of us really knew for certain that we weren't going to have a second qualifying session. Exactly. You know, if, if we did know that, would she got back into it? Would she have made the show? Yeah, probably. But, uh, you know, so the one thing we know about her is, is she, she is fierce and she will bounce back from this and she will overcome whatever it is that's, that's kind of got, got into, into her and her, her team's, you know, issues. And even, even Tony hit, you know, started the year saying he knew that this was, you know, basically yes. a new team with, with Neil every and his expectations were tampered and he's proud of what she's done so far. So, you know, obviously, you know, he, he's got a big stake in that. Um, I, I think, you know, the best for them is still to come and, you know, it won't be long before we're seeing them back in the late rounds. Yeah. And, and I feel, I feel as though for Leah, it's going to take one decent race. You know, I think yeah. I think that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be a situation where it's a seesaw. I think it's going to be one decent race, one maybe semifinal, maybe even a final round finish, even a win, of course. But one good solid race from end to end. The four qualifying sessions at the four wide, I believe, are going to be very beneficial to her because it's just four more cracks at the tree before round one. Sure, absolutely. I think all you know, it's, it's like everything. You know, getting back on the bicycle and riding it. And, you know, the more more laps you get, the better you get. And you know, she'll find her group. And you know, we don't. You know, when she crashed at St. Louis, you know. She was right up. She was ready to go in, in the factory stalker. Yes, you, know, you can't keep her down. No, that was an incredible. That was an incredible study in tenacity. Her and, and that same weekend in St. Louis, when Alexis just had the the nuclear level explosion at the finish line, she was also right back in a car too. So, right. um, yeah, and and again, you know, like I said with Tony, nobody's questioning her desire. Nobody's questioning her want. Nobody's questioning her her like all out assault on on trying to be the best she can be. It's just it is a story that we're paying attention to. So it's you know it's worth talking about. Um, one of the other stories that's kind of an official, unofficial story in Top Fuel is this supposed crew chief change of Stringer Motorsports, which hasn't officially been announced yet. Uh, <laughs> it is the the big scuttlebutt around the the, the direct drag racing world, where we know that Paul Lee has made changes in his team, had uh, released Jim O. He's moving on to a different group of people to tune that car, as to be named yet. And the supposition is that Jim has been hired onto Clay Milliken's car. Did you expect anything to be kind of happening on the crew chief level this early in the year? I did not, especially because, you know, Clay went to the finals in Phoenix, you know, and then, you know, it's, you know, one of those dominoes things, you know, did, did Mike Clover leave Millican? Did, was he asked to leave? You know, what happened between Jim O and Paul Lee? Uh, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, that we're not, you know, as, as close as you and I and, and the others in this business are, there's some things that won't get said, won't get told. Yep. Um, but, you know, to your point, we're still waiting for that story to drop. I've had multiple calls with Jim O and he's told me, you know, where it's headed and, you know, they're just not ready to make that public statement yet. And, you know, it's, it's another one of those worst, worst kept secrets in drag racing. Yeah, which, I mean, we made a habit of having all of them in the off season, so it makes sense, I guess, we get three races in and have another one. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. When we get to the starting line in Q1, we just got to look down at the window and see who's standing behind the race car, I guess, <laughs> right. who's, who's the last guy to adjust the idle type of thing. Um, right. You know, I asked Tony this, and I'm interested in your opinion. When we look at Doug Coletta and Sean Langdon's cars, do you, and this is a process. We've talked about it's a process to get the to get the tune-up refined and developed to where they, they want it with those teams. Do you feel like we're going to see both of those cars kind of get it at the same time, or do you feel like we're going to see one car kind of uh, be the rabbit that the other car can then chase as far as those two yeah. Coletta Motorsports top fuelers? I, I really feel like out of those, I think Doug's a lot closer. You look look at their, their qualifying runs. You know, yeah. Doug qualified you know first in Phoenix, and I think it was a fourth or fifth in Pomona. Um, you know, with AJ with the hands on that, and Brian and the, and the gang. 
Um, you know, and you know, Sean obviously as a driver brings a lot to the package. You know, to to make that happen, that, that car is a little further behind in in uh, in performance, I think, than than the Mac Tools car. Um, but you know, still, you know, the, the you know the round wins haven't come yet. But again, you know, you you know what what a champion Doug is, and you know what a tough driver Sean is. You know, all those things start to come together. You know, maybe you know Charlotte, maybe uh, you know somewhere around that time. That you know they'll be tough again. But I, I really do feel like Doug's a little ahead of the curve. You know what I think is so fascinating about watching that that whole situation come together on the racetrack is that it's an illustration of how difficult this is. You know, if it if it was just that easy, they would have come out. And, and granted, like you said, Doug's been a number one qualifier. The car is good, but it's not to the level they wanted yet. And if it was just you know that easy that you just roll into Pomona and just start slaying everybody, I do like the fact that these guys are having to kind of fight their way through it to get it where they want it to go. Sure. I think a lot of people thought, you know, AJ would come in there and lay the magic hands on Doug's car and Doug would be back in the winner's circle. But, you know, it's not that easy. You know, the track conditions, there's, you know, there's, you know he's bringing all his equipment to Doug's car. Um, you know, and you could kind of almost say the inverse for, for Mike Salinas. So I think a lot of people, you know, were surprised at how, how well Rob Flynn's done over there. You know, he's, you know, he inherited the AJ tune-up to some degree, but he's still got to tune it and manage it. Um, it you know, it's it, you, you can make it look real easy, but we all know it really isn't. That's a fact, and and a guy who has made it look real easy, uh, really up until this year, over the last four seasons, has been Steve Torrance. And you know, if there is going to be you know the Steve Torrance uh, return to return to form, if you will, return to full on domination form, I think it may come this weekend because, as you well know, this guy is this guy is lights out when it comes to four wide drag racing. He, he, he is the king of four wides. Uh, he's you know he's won what six out of the last seven. Yep. And, and you look at it, and other than, you know, I mean, Antron Brown's the only, only one other in top fuel that's won twice. Not a lot of people have won, you know. You know, you know, Force has won it twice. Heights won it twice. J.R. Todd has two wins. Not a lot of people that have, have done more than one, but, you know, six out of the last seven for Torrance. Uh, that, that uh, to me, spells that this is going to be the end of the drought. Yeah, and, you know, when we look at him, it's hilarious, too, because everybody, we adjust our expectations uh, on people's performances, really. So we look at Steve and we think, oh, man, this guy's, he's not number one. But then again, he's only like 47 points out of, right. <laughs> he's only like 47 <laughs> points back. It's it's kind of ridiculous in a way for us to be like, man, I wonder what's wrong with these guys. Well, guess what? There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with them. They're just, they're working through what they say is going to be kind of the next step in their evolution of their tune-up. Right, and we've seen this from them before. They, they don't, don't always come out, you know, swinging, you know, going to Phoenix Game so, you know, they're testing new parts, you know, because, you you know, as we know, you can't stay stagnant in this business. You know, they got stuff. They've been trying a trip, trip Tatum's car. They'll eventually end up on the Capco car. We've seen how good Trip's car can be. Um, it, once, again, you know, it's, it just seems like, uh, you know, three, four races in, you know, that, that uh, magic button is going to look like it got pushed, and, and we're going to find the Steve of old. And listen, don't get me wrong. I have been loving the parade of winners that we've seen so far in Top Fuel. I think it's it's the best possible scenario for what we were all predicting for this season to start with. I mean, we're seeing again the, the Justin Ashes of the world winning is great. Selena's getting one, and 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 you know Mike's a Mike's an incredible story at this point. You mentioned Rob Flynn, of course, but this guy. I've never seen anybody do it. You, you, maybe you have, but like it's one thing to string together a couple of races. We started to notice at the end of last year, but he has not quit as far as his ability to leave and pilot that race car. He has not let up an iota since basically Bristol of last year. Right? Yeah. He, you know, I think he, you know the, the blood was in the water. You know, we saw what happened there. He finished third. If he'd have won another round of the finals, he'd have finished second. He'd have finished ahead of Brittany. So you know, I think a lot of people towards the end of the year. We're probably thinking they were relieved that, that Alan Johnson was leaving that team, but you know the fact that what Mike brings to the party, his dedication to the craft, um, you know, you know, he thought very long and hard about who he hired, and Rob Flynn turned out to be an excellent choice. 
um, you know, and we'll, we'll see as the season goes on, you know, like I said, Rob, you know, makes no bones about it. He, he, he got the AJ tune up and, you know, he got, you know, probably some data to go with it, but he's still got to adjust. And you, you go to a place like Gainesville where we run conditions we've never seen before, you know, yeah. and he's, you know, still able to adapt to it. So, you know, you start getting, you know, every, every screw you turns, you know, turns four or five other things in the engine. You got to find your way through it, find your way back, find your way ahead. And so, you know, again, the, the, you know, the proof in the pudding will be the long range, long, long range, uh, you know, results. Yeah, and listen, it was great news recently when Justin Ashley announced that Phillips Connect is going to be with him the entire season. Um, And there was kind of a, I want to say a quiet announcement because it was made, but it's an announcement that may not have struck people as a big deal in the first place. But the fact that Jasmine Salinas has now kind of assumed a a team managerial role and and kind of an operations management role with that team uh, speaks volumes to me because they've added hospitality this year. Obviously, Pep Boy's on the side of the car, and now she's going to be full-time committed to the race team. Not that this family wasn't all in before, but this is this is absolutely pushing your chips to the middle of the table in the best way. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I believe that's only Mike Mike Sinus knows how to live life. You know, he's done it in his, his personal life and his business life. Uh, he's got a family behind him. You know, very talented daughters. His wife is obviously right in there. You know, it's it, they're they're coming together. You know, and, and the, the the view of him maybe before was you know maybe he was just this uh, guy with with a little bit of money and 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 maybe not as much talent to match his money, and he's flip that script around he's a serious contender for this championship yeah he absolutely is and you know if we transition to the nitro funny car category um we i mentioned in the show last week i talked to matt about it but and i know you've talked to matt this season but this is like a reinvigorated not that the guy was ever low energy but my god matt hagan is like a a, a human dynamo these days the the electricity coming off him like dives right off the tv screen the smile is wider than it's ever been and if this guy can maintain this kind of loose and, and kind of happy exterior for the rest of the season and interior i don't know if he's beatable i mean if this guy can stay this way for the whole year i don't know if anybody's stopping him yeah, I, I think obviously you know losing the championship last year, you know definitely hurt his feelings and got re-energized by the Tony Stewart deal. I mean he's got a lot to prove, you know, to this this guy that comes into our sport that everybody knows who he is. Matt doesn't want to be the weak link, and so I, th- I think you know having good results to start the season, it just just added more fuel to that fire. And I think he's going to be, you know, he, he, right now he obviously he's your favorite for the for the championship. Yeah, and, and obviously Robert Height's going to have something to say about that, and they're going to uh, bounce back from what was a tough weekend for them. And again, one yeah. qualifying session, conditions that were just, you know, uh, like the moon landing. I mean, nobody had any clue about what was going to happen right. next, so it's 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 one of those things. Um, you know, the, the other obviously great story out of Gainesville was the the Jim Head Racing and Blake Alexander story, which I think is is – a signature moment for both of those guys to kind of get back to the racetrack with this brand new crew. Uh, have you had a chance to talk to Jim post race? I have not. I, I went, went over there a couple times at Gainesville, but obviously, you know, they were trying real hard at their first race to get everything back lined up. But I've, I've known Jim for, for, for decades, and, you know, we knew he'd be back, and we knew he'd be tough when he came back. He's, he's just such a cerebral guy. Uh, Blake is an excellent driver. Um, you know, you know, he, Jim went through a couple of different drivers along, along the way before he landed on Blake. And it just seems like like it's working out good, and I think you know that you know, you know we'll see more good things out of that car, and, and you know I think Blake brings some marketing savvy to the team. Yeah, big time. You know, Jim obviously ha- has you know the, the mechanical know how. He's been in the, been running you know nitro cars since the mid eighties. Um, yeah, I, I, it was great to see them back. We, you know we were all heartbroken for what happened to them last year, 
Um, and you know, we're all hopeful that he'd be back and it was great to see him at Gainesville. Yeah, it was a, it was a perspective, I think shift for, for everybody and, and not, not in a bad way. I mean, the, the, the moment was tragic. It's they've maintained a very close relationship with uh, the Cromwell family and, and they still do to, to this day. The Cromwell family is still obviously great supporters of theirs. And, and it's, uh, it's one of those things where it, it took, it took everybody in that in that organization and team a minute to step back and just take a deep breath and look around. And obviously, what they've done coming back made a statement, and and hopefully that their momentum can continue in Vegas. And listen, I remember uh, Jim Jim and Johnny Lindbergh went to a Vegas final a couple of years back. Sure, yeah, you know, they went to a couple of finals, and the first time Johnny got in the car. So the, you know that's uh, you know certainly Jim knows how to tune his way down any racetrack, and you know Blake has the driving savvy. I think you know he hasn't been. You know, I'm not sure what his total uh, starts are, but it's not certainly not as much as a, a John Forrest by any means. But yeah, I, I think that that we'll see uh, see the head card look even better in Vegas. If you're looking at Funny Car this weekend, who strikes you as a as a dark horse, as a maybe a a strong dark horse candidate to be a contender? Because there are a couple of cars to me in the back half of the top ten that are better than they've showed so far. And do you think it's ripe weekend for one of them to to maybe jump up and uh, and yeah. somebody that knows? Uh, yeah, I think it's time for, for Bob Task and those guys to rally back. Um, you know, we, we know what, what they can all do. Uh, Bob had a phenomenal start to last year. This year, you know, maybe hasn't started off as quick, but, you know, I think there's a guy, another guy that's just super driven to succeed, to prove his point. And, you know, he's obviously got uh, top-notch talent tuning the car. Uh, I'm going to call Bob Tasca. That's cool. I like this. I like the sounds of that. And and last last point to make here before I let you go is, uh, you know, once again we go to the western part of the country and we have our, you know, our fearless our fearless band of of West Coast privateer funny car <laughs> racers showing up. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I love that those guys. You know, they're the for some reason the West Coast seems to have that uh, um, group group of people. You got your your Dentions and your Ruperts, people like that, and it's great to see those guys. Um, I don't think we'll see Alex uh, Milodinovich there, unfortunately. But, you know, you get those guys, the Chris Morales of the world. Uh, it just makes it fun to watch them duke it out with those guys and, and you know, even surprise some these guys. It does. I mean, Tony Gerardo's car is, is very strong. And, and those guys, uh, I think those guys always like to raise an eyebrow. And, and this is, to me, a format that certainly benefits them. Just just get me just get me second place twice, Chief. That's all you got to get me to do, right? Right. That's, that's absolutely, you know, we've seen guys get to the final, you know, you know, losing, you know, finishing second twice. And, you know, obviously, you know, 20, you know, 22 times a year that doesn't doesn't help anything but here it does and you know and then you get to the final and we know anything can happen in the final round you know especially when you got four guys and you're trying to stage it once uh yeah i mean if everyone's you know going to pull off an upset it seems like the four wide definitely helps those guys that uh, maybe don't have the horsepower the money that uh, some of their foes do i can't wait man if the weather is going to be nice uh, we're talking about nice temperate temperatures sun's going to be out uh, it's going to be dry thank god and um you know as you well know this race when this race went to four wide, it completely changed the complexion of the Vegas, you know, spring event. The Vegas spring event was traditionally a rather modest crowd, and and now it's a it's a banging it's a banging event. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know, you're right. You know, the, the fall race was always a, a big home run because it was so so much a part of the championship battle, and maybe people overlooked a little bit the, the spring race. But now, you know, it's, it's the first of two, and I think the drivers are all kind of anxious to get back there and prove it, and, and then take the lessons they learned in Vegas, Charlotte, and a couple weeks after that, and uh, you know. Got a chance to make some hay. Phil Burgess, editorial director for the National Hot Rod Association. Thank you, sir, and I will see you in the desert. All right, buddy. Thanks. Always great talking to Phil and Tony and, and just kind of getting their pulse on on opinion and, and kind of what they know regarding the things going on behind the scenes about who we should be looking at and how we should be looking at them coming in to this next Las Vegas Four Wide Nationals. What a great weekend it is poised to be. Go to NHRA.com to grab your tickets if you've not done that already. 
This race being a four wide always brings the people out. It's Vegas. It's a show. It's entertainment. And boy, is it a great way to kind of get the spring part of our year kicked off. It's going to be so much fun. You can also go to NHRA.com to find our broadcast schedule on FS1. We will have full qualifying coverage and, of course, eliminations coverage on Sunday from these Las Vegas four wide nationals. It's going to be a ripper. It's going to be fast. It's going to be dry. And ultimately, the big questions are, will we see yet another different winner in top field this year? Will we see Matt Hagen and Robert Height continue to kind of be dominant cars this, this season in, in Nitro Funny Car? Or will we see the likes of, say, J.R. Todd or Alexis DeJoria start to make a move into the direction that they certainly want to be in? There's all the questions to answer, and they will all be answered on the racetrack starting on Friday with qualifying session one. Thanks for listening, as always, to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week to answer some of those lingering questions we had about crew chiefs and crews and people and where they're going and how they're getting there. It's always exciting in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing, and that is why I love making this show each and every week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week after the Las Vegas Four Wide Nationals.